It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Yeah. Many fruits not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no sheets. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down. I fire in the fire, Mr. Sixth Southern Gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, you could do it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. That's right. Friends and neighbors, <laughs> welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a harmonious homestead in a horrific world. Yes, we do have a harmonious homestead. homestead. We do, we? and the world is indeed horrific in most... Oh, it's not so bad. Oh, well. <laughs> in certain areas. In some areas. Yes, it is. But certain areas, no. That's right. Well... <laughs> Smiley face here is Amy Alton, <laughs> also known as Nurse Amy, an advanced registered nurse practitioner and certified nurse midwife. And you are Joe Alton, a medical doctor, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 850 posts, videos, and of course, podcasts, a medical preparedness for any disaster. That's right. Our mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. And together, we are the watchers on the wall. We watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a belligerent bullfrog? (laughs) Well, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only. And do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. And by the way, maybe you should call me Nurse Sunshine. You are <laughs> Nurse Sunshine. That would be an awesome new name for you from now on. We'll... If you if you can't have a sunny outlook and some hope, then what's the use? That's right. Well, <laughs> she said a mouthful there, guys and gals. Well, modern medical care, I'll tell you, it is the shiznit, but you have to learn a little bit about injuries and illness for times of disasters when help might not be on the way, I kid you not, if you do, you'll be glad you did. Hey, K Pasa USA, we learn as much from you as you do from us. So connect <laughs> with us. It's easy. And here's the lovely Nurse Amy to tell you how. Nurse Sunshine. Sorry, nurse Sunshine. <laughs> tell you how. Well, let me ask you a question. The Olympics are going on right now. Uh-huh. And I know they speak Portuguese. Mm-hmm. So do they say K Pasa or do they say nope. something else? They say something 
Entirely different. Probably different. I know it's similar to Spanish. Well, I know Spanish, and I'll tell you that Portuguese is almost unintelligible to me. <laughs> so it, it, there are some words that are actually exactly the same. There's some words that are a little bit different, like... Uh-huh. Uh, it's hard to I'm think I'm trying to it. think right now. <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, haven't traveled to Brazil, I, I have to admit, for many reasons. <laughs> Most of all because I've, I've never... From A to Z. <laughs> Zika. Oh, that's a good one. That is. What, the, what could the A be? A lot of crime. Amoebas. No, A. a. Oh, amoebas oh, yeah. in the ocean. <laughs> Like, I, right. I hate to always diss Brazil, but well, that is terrible. Brazil is a lovely, Brazil, it is a, a lovely. It's place. a beautiful place. Right. The scenery. I mean, you see videos of the helicopters flying over and the beautiful mountains with the greenery and the ocean. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful. But anyway, we haven't been there, and yes. I'm not looking forward for, to going <laughs> in the near future. No. But. It is a lovely place, and thanks for all the oxygen from the Amazonian rainforest. Yes, Yes. and please don't continue to cut it down. I I would appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) You can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages you can like and become friends of. One is Doom and Bloom. The other one is Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. And you can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy. We also have another podcast called American Survival Radio. You want to tell them a little bit about that? American Survival Radio uh-huh. is a current events <laughs> podcast and it has a little bit of political, political opinions spin. in it. That's right. So. <laughs> Uh, it, if, if, it's not the no spin zone. It may be a little spin zone. Yeah, it's a mild spin zone. <laughs> so anyhow, so that is our other show. It is called American Survival Radio. You'll find it at GCNlive.com. And we have, of course, our video cast on the first Wednesday of every month at AroundTheCabin.com. We had to calm that schedule down a little bit because we have a lot of shows coming up. Oh, we have a lot of going on. And yeah. Yeah, we're going. And where are we going to be? We're going to be. Let me get my... Calendar. Oh, well, I can't find my calendar. <laughs> well, at least tell them what we're going to be next. we got newspapers and computers here. Well, we're going to be in Lawrenceville, Georgia. North of Atlanta. Yes, north, north on the north e- northeast east corner of Atlanta. And we will be at the RK Prepper Show. And you can find more information there on our website at doomandbloom.net. Push the classes page if you want to sign up. We are putting on a nice... Wound care, stapling, and suture class. Hands-on. Hands-on. Absolutely. Right. Get those hands in there and do it. It's the only way to learn, really. But that is Sunday morning of the show, and I believe we're doing that at 930, Sunday morning. But the show is all day Saturday and Sunday. And we'll be doing lectures, too, regular lectures, the free lectures. The date is August, I think it's the 28th and 29th. Again, I don't have the calendar in front of me. Okay, so well, it is but the anyway. last weekend in August, and two weeks after that, we're going to be in Lakeland, Florida. Lakeland. Well, we'll be doing the same thing for our fellow Floridians and having a great time doing that. So, uh, Okay, the wanted... dates are actually the 27th and 28th. Oh. So the suture class is the 28th. And the other class Yes, is absolutely. Therefore. And I got it right here. That is the 9th and 10th. That's actually a Friday-Saturday 
show. And that one is called Self-Reliance Expo. Again, you can find this information on doomandbloom.net. Push the classes page. And the following weekend, we're going to be in St. Louis. Missouri, right? Yes, and that is the 17th and 18th of September. We are in 2016. That's a gateway expo, and we'll be doing classes there, too. So check those out. You can go go to the website at doomandbloom.net and look up classes on the toolbar, and you'll find out where we're at. That's right. Hey, and don't forget our brand spanking new edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, third edition, now available on Amazon. Our book on Zika virus, the Zika virus handbook, and these are both subjects you might want to know a little bit about. In the news, the recent Louisiana floods, which claimed 13 lives and damaged 40,000 homes, show how easily low-lying areas can be devastated by bad weather. Floods can occur even in normally dry areas and are so common that they represent 75% of presidential disaster proclamations. They are often seen in conjunction with other disasters like hurricanes, of course, and other storms. You'd really have to live on a mountaintop to avoid a flood, but even then, you know what? You'd be at risk for mudslides as a result of the heavy rain. That makes perfect sense. And so that you can't is escape it, anything. Right. In Louisiana, there was a foot of rain, one foot. foot, 12 inches of rain throughout pretty much the entire state, and it has been just miserable there. I read where there are 9,000 insurance claims, flood insurance claims, mm-hmm. but there are 40,000 houses that are damaged. That means that three-quarters of those houses probably weren't insured and probably oh, no. are not going to get fixed. It is a disaster for those poor folks there. That's terrible. Well, let me ask you a question. Over what period of time did that Over 24 rain- hours. So, bam, it just yeah. fell out of the sky. Yeah. It was pretty awesome, uh, pretty awful. And I'll tell you one thing. Oh. It wasn't a hurricane. Well, it's a freak thing. It wasn't a tornado. It was just a huge deluge of rain. Did the Weather Channel or anybody predict that they were going to have excessive rains or it was just I think there were flood, I think there were flood warnings. There were some warnings. But people really don't want to leave their homes. They've got a lot of, <clears throat> well... Stuff in their yeah. homes, and they just can't let go of those. I a lot totally, of sentimental things, too. Absolutely. It's not just furniture. You know, I did see one older lady on the television who had to leave her house. And this wasn't part of the floods. This was actually, um, she had to evacuate because of the California fires. Right. And she showed them what she took, and it broke my heart. Her husband had died a few years ago, and... Apparently, she, he had been in the military, and they had one of those folded-up flags, oh. and she had all of his pictures in the, the flag case, and this is what she grabbed. Wow. That's what was important You know, here. oh, it just breaks your heart. Well, let's talk a little bit about how a flood can occur. What are the causes of flooding? I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. We know now that floods are a disaster that oh, can yeah. happen. <clears throat> you got to know how to keep your family safe, and so it might be good to know a little bit about just how these things arise. Tell me, first of all, this flash flood, I guess, are you, are they calling it a flash flood for Louisiana? Well, areas that are going to have a nearby heavy rain that will send water into an area that's ordinarily not gotcha. inundated with water, that would be a flash flood. If you remember when we traveled to Nevada one yes. year, that we saw a bunch of areas that <clears throat> in which flash flooding did occur. You could see it. And you could see where the water made a channel. right? And it just kind of removed everything on its way. Right. So how much rain actually fell in Louisiana? 12 inches. 
uh, over the course of 24 hours. That's wow. a lot of rain. And it affected 20 different parishes. That, that's what they call counties in uh, Louisiana. They call them parishes. And those are all now disaster areas. 70,000 people have applied for government ha- it, help. It just, it, you know, it's hard to hear it over and Tons over. Tons of homeless 12 people. inches in 24 hours. It's just like, you can't believe it. Like, Really? That's a lot. It's at the point where a number of sh- uh, sheriff's deputies are homeless. It's hard to talk about some of these things. And includes a number of people that we've been reading about in the news. It includes the family of Alton Sterling, the young man that was shot in a police incident. Right. And it includes the families of the three police officers that were killed by a sniper in Louisiana as well. Wow. So it's... This is a big area. It is a big area. It's most of... It's 138,000 people in the areas that are uh, disaster area affected. Actually, more than that. Well, anyhow, there's other kinds of flooding. Of course, the rivers can flood. Uh, heavy rainfall does that, but a, a dam breaking or rapid snow melt could cause that. An ice jam. We'll talk about what an ice jam is in a little while. Flow can become turbulent, as in a flash flood, or it may just slowly rise in Mm -hmm. water level over the course of time. In any case, the result will threaten structures and people that are along the riverbank. Right. Florida, we have what we call storm surges from tropical storms, hurricanes, things like that. And these heavy winds that come with those storms cause flooding by raising the water levels above the normal tide levels. And so the storms, high winds generates this and inundate structures, flood structures, damages foundations, causes significant loss of life. Well, we're not too many feet above the no, ocean. <laughs> no, we are. We are or, pretty or the much, tide level, yes. as as we can. Florida down here where we are, we were just the bottom of an ocean. Yes, many years ago until we'll, some of the ice froze right. in the north and and south. And we'll be poles. the bottom of the ocean again, I'm sure, at one point or another. Well, if. If climate change is really happening, and we oh, really are... Oh, climate changes. I mean, it, it always has and always will. Well, the climate changed here today. It was cooler in the morning, and now it's hot as heck. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly enough, all these wildfires that are occurring in California may cause flooding later on. Now, how does that happen? It happens by scarring the ground. Where ground is burnt, it becomes hard, and that's called a burn scar, and when the ground is very hard due to this burn scar, mm-hmm. the water just cannot get through. Burn scars cause heavy rains when they occur to accumulate water wherever gravity will take it. And this is also a big cause of mudslides. So even after all these wildfires are gone, California is still not, and the drought is over, California is still not out of the woods. It's pretty, pretty kooky. Well, it makes sense. It has... A surface area that's almost impenetrable to water, except over a, a longer period of time. So if you get even a little more than a normal rainfall, it's just going to glide along there and accumulate. So these high hilltops may get an inch of rain, which doesn't sound like a lot, but then that inch piles up and piles up as right. it rolls down the burn scar area. Exactly. And by the time it gets to the base in the valley area, you've got a whole bunch of water that was unexpected. True that. And there you have your flood. These kinds of floods can occur in the summer. They can occur in the winter. Mm -hmm. In the winter, 
There's something called an ice jam that can cause flooding. An ice jam is when moving ice and debris on rivers wind up sort of accumulating and blocking water flow, almost making like a dam. Right, like a beaver dam. Right, exactly. And what happens is is that water backs up as a result, and mm-hmm. so upstream you wind up getting flooding. And then all this water is accumulated upstream. Once the actual log, uh, log jam, ice jam has broken apart, then flooding occurs downstream. So you get the double whammy there. Well, there could be logs in it. That happens a lot That's with flooding. True. Right. They knock over trees it's, and they get exactly. joined in with all the water and sure. the ice. If you look at avalanches. Right. That, just like that. All the trees that are in the way get, bam, right. added to the avalanche, which really makes that dangerous. That's very extra, extra dangerous. In the early spring, you're going to have snow melt. Snow melt flooding is not uncommon in northern states, mountainous areas. Snow is essentially stored water, right, mm-hmm. until the temperature rises, and the soil just doesn't absorb the water fast enough, usually, in right. this situation, and the snow melt acts as if there was a heavy rain then. And when there's more water than you can contain in the soil and in the area, then you got your flooding. Now, of course, then there's always barrier failures. When a levee breaks, as it did in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina, or if there's a dam that breaks... Well, it can happen as a result of erosion, a landslide, earthquakes, rainfall, all sorts of different reasons. And what happens is the water winds up inundating all the structures downstream. And just suddenly. Right. And this is without any kind of warning whatsoever. Oh, it's a... It's just, bam, it can be a beautiful sunny day, and suddenly there's just this rush of water. And that's what kills more people. If you live in a floodplain or downstream of a dam, then you really need to make sure that you are prepared to deal with any barrier failures. Right, absolutely. Now, most people have heard of a hurricane or tornado watches and warnings, but the U.S. Weather Service also tries to warn people of flooding. A flash flood watch means that flash flooding is possible in the near future. A flash flood warning is a little more extreme, means that flooding is imminent in the area or possibly already occurring. Now, if you live in a low-lying area, especially near a dam or a river, then you should heed warnings when they are given. Be prepared to evacuate quickly. Rising floodwaters can easily trap you in your home. You don't want to perch on your roof waiting for the rescue helicopter. No, which may not come. Which may not indeed come. We've seen that happen. Now, I've got a bunch of flood safety tips that we're going to go over. Some might seem common sense to you and some might be, well, a little out of the box. Well, the first one, and this should be common sense to you, is you should hit the road early if the authorities say that, man, you should evacuate. Having a NOAA weather radio would be a good idea. It'll keep you up to date on the latest advisories. And if they say to get out of Dodge, don't hesitate and get out of Dodge. And I know, like you said, people are hesitant to leave because they want to protect their domicile. But honestly, folks, um, I, I saw some fancy blown up circular tube-like dam put around someone's house. But if you really look at the house that, quote, was saved from a flood with this, that house was much higher than the ground around it. So I kind of think it was sort of an advertising gig. Like, oh, we'll put this around your house and there'll be water everywhere because they knew a flood was coming. But it was more of an advertising picture than a, we're actually saving your house because it didn't seem to actually be what was keeping the water out. So, yes, get out of Dodge. 
Uh, no bags or blown up rubber tube is going to save your house if you are under the level of the flooding. And take what you need, what you want, as quickly as possible and heed Dr. Bones' warning. That's right. Darn it. <laughs> now, yeah, of course, if you're going to leave, you're probably going to leave using your car, if you have a car. And you need to make sure that you leave early enough, you wait too long, you're right. going to drive through flooded areas. The government says that you should turn around, don't drown, if you see that the road has been washed out. And find another direction. As a matter of fact, you should always have a couple of routes to higher ground planned out if you have a low-lying residence. Absolutely. Now, how many world's dumbest videos have we seen oh, of boy. people driving across muddy, uh, treacherous, white-capped water thinking, oh, I can get across this. What a mistake. That is incredible. We've seen semi-trailers, 18-wheelers. Yes, a gas tank, a huge, I don't know how many gallons they are, but a semi that's hauling gas. Try to go, I mean, the water was brown. There were white caps. It was clearly a dip after the road, which meant it had been completely washed away, and he attempted it. But the road itself wasn't covered with more than maybe two and a half feet of water. It was just this amazing, amazing amount of water. Power from the moving that water. pushed it down off of the road and, and into a little gully, and it flipped over, remember? Yep. Flipped what over, went mess. underwater. We thought, oh. He's dead. He yep. must be dead. And then the trucker stayed on its side, and he managed to get out and was sitting on the cab. On the side of the cab. <laughs> yeah, on the, side, now, on the door, the driver's which door. Was now the roof. <laughs> which was now floating down the water. And apparently he was rescued. I, it is just a miracle that anybody survives that kind of situation. Well, just like you need to be careful when you're driving through flooded areas, you have to be careful when you're walking through flowing water as well. Right. If it takes a couple of uh, feet, maybe, of moving water to take a car downstream it takes less than a foot to just take you downstream absolutely where you might drown so that is very very important for you to make sure that you are very careful when you're crossing moving water i mean that happens when you cross creeks oh yeah. there's enough water and pressure moving the water at a, a certain amount of volume it it'll knock you off your feet Oh, and uh, I have to tell you that even if the water is calm, most of the time floodwaters are murky, murky waters. You don't know what's on the bottom there. You might be stepping on something that could injure your foot. Or knock you off balance. Right. And now you've fallen. And, of course, once you've fallen, you're floating in the water and you're going to be carried down. Um, But also you just don't know. One step could be four or five inches under the water surface. And the following step can be... A few feet. I mean, we have an issue in South Florida with sinkholes. Yes. And we did see another video of a woman who thought she was going to cross a road. People were yelling at her, (laughs) waving their arms not to go, and she did anyway. And thankfully, she got out as the front of her car dipped into an unseen sinkhole. And after she got out, she swam around a little bit, and that car actually went into the sinkhole right. and completely disappeared, disappeared. Right. just gone. I, re- I remember that. That was pretty. Oh, crazy. I don't know how she 
got out of there. Well, you learn a lot about disasters by watching these world's dumbest videos, I have to tell you. <laughs> I forgot. I think that's on True TV. Or, I don't know. But, but it is pretty pretty crazy stuff. Oh. Um, beware of down power lines. Mm-hmm. Now, electric lines, because of wind, because of moving water, can be... can. The pole can snap or they can bend and wind up breaking the actual cable. The cable can go into the water but still have electricity flowing through it. Absolutely. If that's the case, if you're nearby and you put your foot in the water, it will electrocute you. It will give you a nasty shock and it could kill you. Now, in these circumstances, it usually kills more than one person because when somebody sees a person getting shocked... In the water, what do they usually do? They want to go reach them and grab them and get them out of there. And sure enough, as soon as their foot goes in the water, They're guess what happens? They're too. shocked. They're maybe electrocuted too. I've seen entire families. families, reports of entire families that die this way. Each one trying to get well, the others that were electrocuted I, I before them. You're right. It's nearly impossible when you see someone in trouble, especially a loved one, a, a child or a husband or a wife or a parent. To not immediately leap into the situation thinking you're the the rescuer. You're right, going sure. to be the savior of the person who's in trouble because you just can't think of anything else but going to, to save them immediately. Exactly. Exactly. And also, these family members may not have initially realized that what was causing the person to have a problem was electricity. Right. Because that down line doesn't have to be. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like flowing away. with electric, electricity right. that and, you would actually see. Right. Now, sometimes, if, I'll tell you something if you see a cable that has sparks in the water, then don't go near it. No. Other things that are. are Back maybe, up quickly. Yeah, right. <laughs> other things that may give you a hint are popping noises, crackling noises, right. snaps, things like snap, gravel, pop. Good <laughs> advice. Any of those, honey. Any of those sounds. Should, especially in areas where there are power lines and standing water, and you're near it, don't walk into the water, whatever you do. So that's important. Or if you even think there might be electricity, just back out. Right, absolutely. Back out, go the opposite direction, and just have awareness of what's happening around you. The, again, these power lines might not be down two inches away from you. They could be a little bit of a distance, and you just don't realize it. So you really have to have an awareness of of not just immediately around you, but what's going on across the street, you know, to your left, to your right, behind you, and, and really pay attention. Absolutely. Speaking of the water, don't drink the water. No. There may be a lot of water around, <laughs> but it is not clean water. It's contaminated by debris. Maybe water treatment plants nearby may have been compromised by the disaster. So... One of the things that you need as part of your supplies is you need a reliable way to purify water and maybe have some supplies of bottled water. That would be actually the best thing. If you need to purify water, then maybe 12, 16 drops of household bleach would sterilize about a gallon's worth. A teaspoon would do for five gallons. Now, you might need a filter to eliminate debris and particulate matter that's in there. Make sure that you always wait about 30 minutes after purifying the water, disinfecting the water to drink because it takes a while to kill the bugs. Absolutely. And if you want to aerate it so it doesn't quite smell like bleach, shake up the container. Yes, good idea. Shake it up, shake it up, shake it up. It helps to dissipate the smell of the chlorine after the 30 minutes. 
Besides water purification tablets, you might want to have some other supplies. We mentioned bottled water. Water, you need to have non-perishable food. You want to have a heat source. You want to have a light source. You want to have batteries, extra batteries. You may want to have certain tools. You want to have a certainly extra clothing. You want to have your cell phone. You want to have a NOAA weather radio, which I mentioned earlier. You certainly want to have a medical kit because you never know who you're going to come upon that's going to need help. Absolutely. You might want to have shelter, too. There are some pretty reasonable pop-up tents that are easy to put up and easy to carry. They're lightweight and certainly uh, very uh, money-friendly. And there are so many thousands of homeless people, indeed, after the floods in Louisiana that clearly having a tent or having something that you Some can call sort of shelter. a exactly. domicile in times of trouble might not be a bad idea at all. Now, speaking of your domicile, if you have reason to believe that water is going to get into your home, turn off the electricity. If water reaches the level of the electric outlets in any floor of your home, you could easily get electrocuted when you come back if you don't turn off the electricity beforehand. Now, some warning signs might be what I said before, crackling, popping, uh, sparks, buzzing might be something else that you might uh, actually hear. All these sound terrible. <laughs> yeah, and they, all, and they all may be signs of something terrible. And also, yeah, like you said, a pop, but sometimes it's a loud boom. It almost sounds like an um, explosion mm-hmm. when these areas go off. Right, exactly. Now, there are going to be intruders in your home. In other words, not necessarily human intruders, although they may be interested in see what valuables you might have left behind, but Critters that have been flooded out of their homes are going to probably try to seek shelter in yours. Your house is probably higher up than theirs. Snakes, raccoons, insects, other refugees may decide that your residence is now their territory. So beware. In Louisiana, there are spiders all over the place oh, in lovely. people's homes, you know apparently. How much, you know how much I love spiders, uh, especially res- brown recluse, <laughs> recluse, recluse spiders. Oh, no. I that know. was terrible. That was. That wow. Was indeed. Beware of those nasty spiders now let's see what else is important i want you to check for gas leaks after a flood don't use candles lanterns stoves or lighters until you're sure the gas has been turned off and things are well ventilated that's very very important you want to make sure the generators and camping stoves things like that and charcoal grills even are always used outside out I'm going to repeat this. Outside. We have too many people who die in South Florida after hurricanes who are hurricanes who are using grills and generators and other gas run items inside their homes. Right. Carbon monoxide is an issue. There are a lot of things. These fumes can be deadly, folks. Don't burn fires inside your house here. We don't have the ventilation that houses that have... um, fireplaces and gas burning stoves have we're just not used to that kind of thing down here oh, absolutely right very and bad. i'm sure and i'm sure the same thing in louisiana make sure that you clean out saturated items completely in other words if cans of food that you're planning to eat from got wet in the flood their surfaces could be covered with mud could be otherwise contaminated with all sorts of bugs so you have to wash food containers Uh, utensils, let's say, any other personal items before you use them. And don't use any appliances or anything that has a motor that had gotten wet during the flood unless they have completely dried. And you may have to take some of them apart to clean debris out of them, too. Good advice. So 
speaking of which, maybe it's a good idea to have some waterproof containers around so you can put that food, that, right. those appliances, small appliances, personal items, documents, a lot of things you don't want to lose. And if you put things in waterproof containers, you might not lose them. So if your area is at risk for flooding, please have the important stuff protected by storing them correctly. And, waterproof containers. Right. And back them up. Make copies. Put them in bank safes. Uh, give them to relatives to hold on to, which might be in non-flood areas. Always have backups of your documents. Don't just leave them on a computer as a document or one physical copy in your house. Definitely always have backups. Very important. Floods, let's face it, they're just one of the many natural disasters that can endanger your family. Turn your home into a disaster area. But with planning and some supplies, you're going to be able to keep your loved ones safe and healthy. I hope you listened in on these tips. All right, enough of that. Hey, you know, let's talk about super lice. Super lice, wow. You know, it's August, time to get the kids ready to go back to school. And a bunch of kids together in a class, well, that means a lot of close contact. And one of the issues you might have to deal with is head lice. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, believes that 6 to 12 million children get head lice in the U.S. every year. Now, head lice, what are they? They're parasitic, wingless insects that they feed on blood, which they get from biting the scalp. Now, their presence in adults, especially, causes irritation and itching. 50% of kids actually don't seem to notice them, I think, because they have Yeah, what's a, up with that? They think they have an, in, <laughs> an incomplete immune system that just doesn't, doesn't react, react against them. as highly. Head lice are called, in their Latin term, pediculus humanus capitus. Notice it says humanus. And that's because, generally speaking, lice are species-specific. When I say that, I mean that you can't get lice from your dog, for example, like you can get fleas. You can only get them from other humans. So they are species-specific. A louse on a cockroach won't want to be on a human. A louse on a human won't want to be on a monkey. It's their species-specific. That's very funny. Lately, well, thank you very much. Evidence <laughs> evidence has lately emerged that the average head louse has mutated, however. Uh-huh. This is the latest news into what's called a super louse that's now pretty much immune to common over-the-counter treatments like pyrethroids. You've heard of pyrethroids in the Zika epidemic. They use some of those to get rid of those mosquitoes. In the past, pyrethroids were successful 100% of the time. That's back in 2000, but in 2013, the success rate had dropped down to 25%. That's due to a new trait called knockdown resistance, or KDR. KDR lice have been identified in 48 states and Canada, up from 25 states just a year or so ago. In 42 states, these mutant lice have comprised 100% of the infestations seen, especially in school children. Well, I, I have a question, though. Do these super lice have capes? <laughs> well, they should because, man, they are immune. They are impervious to the bullets of pesticides, apparently. <laughs> so all of this means that the currently recommended products by the CDC to eliminate head lice, like RID, mm-hmm. Lyside, Triple X, these are going to be ineffective in most of the U.S., So how do you identify and treat super lice? 
Well, super lights look just like regular headlights, other than the cape, of course, that you yes, mentioned. Yes, of course. Right? But you have to look very, very, very closely. closely for the cape. <laughs> yes. They're grayish. They're yellowish-white. Uh, different types or may look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, as adults, they reach the size of a small sesame seed. They're small, little bitty things. Now, infestation with lice causes itching, sometimes a rash. Unlike body lice, however... This type of lice, thank goodness, doesn't carry other diseases. Oh, good. Like now, our mosquitoes. They do. Right, exactly. You might be interested to know that African Americans are somewhat resistant to head lice, possibly due to a different shape and width of their hair shafts. Oh, that's really interesting. So isn't that something? So no, it it's, is. It's more seen in, in non-African American folks. Mm-hmm. Now, the diagnosis is made by identifying the presence of the louse or its eggs. Eggs are called nits, N-I-T-S, in lice. And nits look like small bits of dandruff that are stuck to hairs. They're almost always around a quarter of an inch from where the scalp is. They're more easily seen if you use a black light. But who's going to have a black light in Not, times of Well, trouble? in the 60s, I think. There yeah, were a lot of people a lot did. Of folks with, I'll bet you could have seen I, a lot of people with head lice in I'm the 60s. I'm going to admit that I had a black light in probably 76 when I was younger <laughs> i had them even earlier than that so but you know the i admit thing, to but it. the funny thing is remember when the black light was turned on and your door was shut and the lights were off everything had a white fuzz yes. so you saw the dust right and it made you like oh my gosh my room is so dirty <laughs> turn the lights back on so you don't see all the dust well that's a stroll down memory lane so huh? if you're a little older you might have had a black light but this is not a bad idea to have something like that if you have young children that are going to school. Now, one thing that you definitely need is some kind of fine-tooth comb that you can run through their hair because that also will reveal adult lice mm-hmm. and their nits. There are special combs that you can get. You can get them at the pharmacy, but you could also get them. They have them for animals, too, Yes. for fleas and things like that. And these sometimes people like these even better. They have kits that come right. with the, the special comb. And the solutions right. or the shampoo and the treatment, sometimes all together. Well, in this case, you're going to have to try to remove as many lice as possible before treatment because the treatment may not work. Exactly. We're and just then you talking, have to check for them afterwards, we're too. We're just checking, talking about them not being susceptible to pretty much every known treatment out there. The funny thing about this is that the term nitpicking comes <laughs> from... How diligent you have to be to be able to get rid of all these These lice. Okay. All these nits. So anyhow, the nits are going to be attached to the hair shaft about a quarter inch from the scalp. They'll be sort of oval shaped, probably yellowish. Now, some people say that applying some olive oil to the comb makes them easier to remove. Everybody's a little different. Now, there's a researcher named Dr. Kyung Sup Yoon. And he's That's a, a mouthful. That, that is. And he believes that the only way to be sure to eliminate the super lice is to use a stronger pesticide, or what they call a pediculicide, which kills lice. And these are by prescription only, things like Quell, K-W-E-L-L. And this is something, unfortunately, that can cause ill effects in children, mm-hmm. uh, neurological effects, as a matter of fact. So you better talk to your doctor before you consider doing that. There's another doctor, Dr. Robin Garris of the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, and she suggests that using the usual treatment and repeating in a week might actually work. Now, actually, that is the normal 
way to deal with it, they do recommend treating it again. Interesting. So it yeah, seems... there's always a follow-up. Other people believe that if you use olive oil and coconut oil or mayonnaise, and you just smush it all over the head and keep uh, of the uh, affected child and just sort of keep it there for hours, that you might suffocate the pests. That may may be true, may not be true. Everybody believes their own thing. Yes. That's yes. right. Now, of course, the sharing of personal items, bad idea, leads to louse infections. Clothing, combs, bedding, towels, things like that that are used by multiple people. That's common ways that life gets spread from person to person. I will say that in the 70s, they told us, teachers told us not to share combs or brushes. Parents told their children not to share combs and brushes. This was a really, really common educational Yes, that was part of the hygiene system. I'll say it's hygiene, system. hygiene class, right? There you go. Right, right. There you go. Now, the important things that you need to know is that you have to wash and, more importantly, dry all clothes in hot temperatures. 130 degrees Fahrenheit is best. Or alternatively, you could place clothes in a freezer for a few days, and that would probably work. Can you also, how uh, you well. Cook your clothes, maybe. Uh, another option is to place <laughs> clothing and personal items. Place your clothing and personal items mm -hmm. like stuffed toys that you can't bear to throw out in a plastic bag for a couple of weeks and then shake outside. And the interesting thing is adult head lice, they have to eat. And so if they don't mm. have access to their host, they only live a few days. And so this would work as well. Now, this plastic bag option is also something that is good for bed bugs. Yes. If you've got children's toys, stuffed animals, things that you really can't throw away. Because bed bugs, that's way worse than this lice situation. Those get in there. Those things even get in the walls. Mm, true. They get into furniture. I mean, it is bad news but if you absolutely can't throw away something that's precious to your child and it can't be treated in another fashion that plastic bag and suffocation might be the the only solution with bed bugs that's true that's true now ordinarily you would use what we called uh, a few uh, minutes ago pyrethroids pyrethrin is a natural product for adult lice it's found in chrysanthemum flowers permethrin is a, a synthetic version that's brand name is Nix. The other uh, pyrethrin uh, rid is its brand name. And these are the commonly used ones. If those are going to be probably difficult to really be effective against super lice. So you might consider quell, which I mentioned. Ask your doctor about it. It is avoided in kids mostly because it's known to cause neurological side effects. But there's something else called natroba, N-A-T-R-O-B-A, that's a natural insecticide derived from soil bacteria. And if your kid's four years old or older, it may be useful for them. Uh, there's something else called Sklice, S-K-L-I-C-E. Uh, its scientific name is Ivermectin. And it is also from soil bacteria. And it's also useful in children that are six months or older. So you can actually use it earlier. What you do is you start with dry hair. And if you use hair conditioners, you have to stop those for a few days before using the medicine, which affects the it does affect the effectiveness of it. This will allow the medicine to really get into the hair shaft. Now, you apply the medicine to the hair and scalp. You rinse it off after 10 minutes or so. Check for lice and nits using a comb, and 8 to 12 hours afterwards, then repeat the process. You may have to do that a couple of times. 
Combs and brushes should be placed in alcohol, very hot water after treatment. It might be wise for any item that might have been exposed to also get that same treatment, even if it belongs to unaffected family members. Now, there is a way to take chemicals out of the process altogether. Now, you can do that with clothing by putting things in plastic bags, mm-hmm. but you could also use what some centers like Lice Clinics of America in Denver, Colorado do. They use special hair dryers that are about triple the strength of your home unit that they put it on for about 30 minutes and it dehydrates the adults and eggs, kills them dead. And they, of course, also ask you to do more than just that. I mean, you can do that, but then you want to vacuum the house and really try to prevent recurrence. Get rid of anything right. that's left off of the head. That's right. Now, it makes sense that the lice primarily are on your head because they need to eat on a regular basis. So they're not going to be jumping around in your clothes. They're not going to be hanging out in the carpet very much. If they get in those locations, it was probably by accident. Maybe they were moving from one place to another place and fell off your head. So the vacuuming is just um, a precaution. Right. But primarily, these things are hanging out on your head, unlike bed bugs that hang out elsewhere until they would like to go eat, and then they find your nice warm body while you're sleeping and bite you. And then they go back to where they like to hide out. Well, now you're scaring me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the bottom line is treat lice aggressively, be nitpicky, and you'll get rid of super lice just as well. Make sure that you are aggressive. That's the bottom line. Now, Amy, I think you were talking earlier. I have a part two. They have a part two of, of natural. natural pain relief. There we you were go. talking about that last week. Lots yes. of great information. Thank and you. And you've got some more for us. Yes, we do. Awesome. Well, for those of you who didn't hear a part one, I just want to reiterate one small part that you can have unwanted side effects, allergic reactions, with herbal medicine and herbal medicine may might interact in a negative manner with other substances or medications or medicines that you're on so you have to be careful you have to check them out before you just start on your own because you know we can grow these we can harvest them and we can purchase them without a prescription so you need to know whether or not they're going to actually interact with something that you're already taking for a condition and something that you need to continue taking for your health and also understand that each herb has different natural chemical compounds and sometimes the same plant sitting next to each other can be a little stronger than the other one and it all depends on nutrients water sunlight um, even when it's harvested there are some medication or some natural medications that when the plant is harvested, if it's harvested during the day, it has a different potency than when it's harvested at night. So all of these can affect natural medicine. It's, it's not always just a matter of how much you use, but how potent the plant material actually is. So let's start off with Arnica. And I may have mentioned Arnica last week anyway, but I really love Arnica. So let's talk about it again in case you guys missed that. It's a natural inflammatory, anti-inflammatory, and it reduces swelling. And therefore it helps with discomfort from injuries to joints and muscles and bruising. Today's Arnica is grown and has become one of the most popular 
homeopathic medicines throughout the world. It's trusted by professional athletes to soothe sore muscles, and I'm sure some of these Olympic athletes that we've been seeing the past couple of weeks probably use Arnica when they get back to their rooms, or maybe the trainers are using it. It works really well. Um, It's quite interesting to have a pain in your elbow or your wrist or your knee or your hip and actually rub some of this Arnica Savon and suddenly find that a little while later, gee, that doesn't hurt anymore or it's significantly reduced in the pain level. So try it for yourself if you have some pain Do not put it on open skin, though. That is something that you really shouldn't do. It can be used to treat stiffness from flying or long-distance driving. You know, you get out of the car after a few hours, you're like, oh, it's hard to stand up. Arnica could be very useful there. Also, anyone who bruises easily will appreciate Arnica's ability to reduce bruise discoloration and savvy moms might keep it to treat playground bumps and bruises again on intact skin Uh, the next one i want to talk about is called msm well what is msm it's methyl sulfonyl methane and it's actually derived from sulfur the substance helps to slow down degeneration from joint disease especially when combined with glucosamine and chondroitin and over the course of time, osteoarthritis sufferers often report a significant pain relief. So something with a combination of all three of those, and I do have that myself, does work. It keeps the joints kind of extra moisturized is what you want to think about. So they don't dry out, they're not as stiff, and the joints seem to work a little better when you use these. It works by decreasing also the transmission of pain nerve impulses and it's actually really important and popular in Europe and European medicine. Uh, For hemorrhoids you can apply a gel containing MSM, hydrolonic acid and tea tree oil and seems to help improve the symptoms of hemorrhoids. For osteoarthritis taking MSM by mouth seems to slightly reduce some of the symptoms of arthritis of the knee such as the pain and again the joint movement we were just talking about that but the changes seem to be small and it might not reduce other symptoms such as stiffness for rosacea applying a cream containing MSM and salimarin helps to improve skin color and other symptoms of rosacea stress brought on by exercise Taking MSM by mouth before running seems to reduce muscle damage and other markers of stress caused by exercise. Turmeric. Awesome. Love the spice for curry. It is delicious. It's an Indian dish. It has a yellow color and a very unique flavor. It has a compound that's an antioxidant that helps protect the body from free radical molecules that can damage cells and tissue. Turmeric increases the body's defense against inflammation, thereby decreasing pain. It is used for the treatment of many conditions, including indigestion, ulcers, psoriasis, stomach muscle upset, and sometimes even cancer. Some people with osteoarthritis turn to turmeric as a natural pain reliever because it helps relieve inflammation. Now, if you have really, really severe pain, 
it's probably unlikely that something like this is going to completely eliminate it. And that's not what turmeric is claiming to do. Completely 100% eliminate your pain. And I'm really relating to the pain from cancer because there's all kinds of problems that people get because they have cancer, different treatments and medications. Uh, the cancer itself can cause severe pain depending on where it is and how big it is. So these things might help you. They're not necessarily going to completely eliminate it. Cloves are also used to treat a wide range of condition. Cloves may help ease nausea and treat colds. They may also help relieve the pain associated with headaches, arthritic inflammation, which is a lot of what we've been talking about lately with the arnica and the turmeric, and also may help with toothaches, which is really what it's known for. It can be used as part of a topical pain reliever. A study indicated that cloves could be used to treat fungal infections, but further research is needed. The active ingredient in clove oil is eugenol, that's E-U-G-E-N-O-L, which is a natural pain reliever and is also used in some of the over-the-counter pain rubs. Rubbing a tiny, tiny amount of clove oil on your gums may temporarily ease toothache pain until you can get to a dentist, but too much, too much undiluted clove oil may actually hurt your gums. It could burn them and be very painful. So discuss this approach with your dentist before trying it at home, if possible. People with bleeding disorders or who are taking blood thinning medications should be careful when consuming clove products. Clove oil can increase the risk of abnormal bleeding. So if you already have a bleeding disorder or you take aspirin or Coumadin or heparin, clove oil is probably not something you want to do on a regular basis. Maybe occasionally it might be okay. So let's talk about fish oil. Filled with omega-3 fatty acids, which a lot of people have issues with today, when you have high cholesterol, high triglycerides, it's likely you probably have low omega-3 fatty acids and probably high omega-6, which is not necessarily the good one. It's the omega-3 that you want. Fish oil reduces inflammation by releasing prostaglandins when digested. It also blocks the production of inflammatory chemicals in the body. Commonly recommended in those with coronary artery disease, larger doses, and we're talking like 2,000 to 4,000 milligrams a day, are shown in several studies to give significant pain relief from various joint and immune disorders. But be aware that high doses of fish oil can thin the blood, exactly what we were just talking about with the clove oil. In one study, researchers instructed patients with pain in the neck or back to take 1,200 milligrams a day of fish oil supplements combined with two other supplements. After 75 days on fish oil, more than half of the patients of the 125 total who reported back said they had stopped their prescription painkillers. That is a miracle. You have been listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.